Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gardenines, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so exceedingly violent that no one could, could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Be gone. And they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including the incident of the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they entreated him to depart from their region. You see, Jesus in his entire ministry is proving that he is the Messiah. No one is taught like Jesus because Jesus taught with authority unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. No one could heal people of their infirmities like Jesus. Only God could heal someone instantaneously, no matter what the affliction was. Only God could cause a fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee to instantly stop. It had its effect upon the disciples because they said, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey this man? They had already seen Jesus do marvelous things, but even they are increasingly amazed of who Jesus is. The mighty God has stooped to become a man like us in our humanity in order to deal to assume our weaknesses yet without sin in order to save us from our sins. In his teaching, Jesus has laid out what it really means to have genuine faith. He has told us what it means to have faith in his lordship. Not everyone who says unto him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, the one who demonstrates that he has real faith, as we saw last week, is, is a person who is willing to put Jesus first in their life. Are you willing to put Jesus first in your life? If we're not willing to put Jesus first in our life, then we really have no right to call ourselves Christians. A Christian is someone who lives under the lordship of Jesus. The Christian is someone who builds their life upon the rock, not upon the sand. The Christian is the one who listens to the word of God and obeys. Jesus was constantly seeking to communicate to his disciples who he really was. Jesus told his disciples on this incident, after he had healed all these people, to cross the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, taught them faith when they were in that boat, and, and uh, the storm surely would have sank the boat. They were concerned about their lives. He had to rebuke them because they failed to realize they, they've got God in the back of the boat. Why should they be worried? So he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And so we see 
that Jesus taught them about his lordship in rebuking the sea, this fierce storm. And then we're going to see he's going to teach them something more about his lordship because he had a reason to cross the Sea of Galilee. He told them to go to the region of the Gadarenes in order to demonstrate another part of his absolute lordship. Now, crossing the Sea of Galilee was a means, we know that Jesus was very tired, and if crossing the sea to get away from the crowds was going to be R&R for Jesus, then what immediately transpires is not my idea of rest and relaxation. Unless, of course, you think it's relaxing, to get to the other side only to find two demon naked men storming down the hill like bats out of you know where, coming down to meet Jesus. That's not my idea of any kind of rest or relaxation. To get the full picture of this incident, we really ought to, uh, need to consult the other synoptic gospels. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. We don't need to turn there yet. But uh, but Mark 5, 1 through 20 records the incident, gives us some knowledge about what Matthew does. In fact, Matthew's account is the shortest account. And then Luke 8, 26 through 29 is another account from Luke's perspective of this incident. Now we know from Luke's account these men were naked, And if you look at Mark and Luke's account, you'll find them mentioning only one man, not two, as Matthew does. Now, some might think, well, this is a contradiction. Matthew says there were two demon-filled men coming down. Uh, Why does Mark only mention one and Luke only mention one? It's not the fact there was a contradiction. I think the fact is the best explanation. There's not a whole lot to say about it, really. We have, to, we have to say that there were two because Matthew says there were two. It's just that Mark and Luke are emphasizing what was being spoken, and they center in on, on one of the, the demoniacs. Demon possession was, and it still is, a real thing. I don't know how many other uh, beings can take, I, take over a human body. I have no idea how... Beings can invade a human body and take over the body. I, there is no scientific explanation for it. None. But it's true. It happened. It still happens. You know, people wonder if Jesus is real or not. You know, there are many ways that you can go at it. But one angle that you can go at it is this. If the demonic realm is real... What does that tell you about Jesus? He's real. Because Jesus, we see that Jesus dealt with these diabolical creatures. I remember when I was in college in the early 70s, the new movie came out called The Exorcist. I deliberately chose not to go to that movie, but there were college guys that went to that movie, and they came back terrified. We're talking about these football guys, these tough guys were coming back terrified. We had a ministry going on. I remember one of the guys came down our hall, knocked on our door, and wanted to talk to Tom and I. 
He was that shook up. Now, why was he shook up? Because demons are real. It wasn't just imagination. I think one of the things about it is it's because humans know that it's real. They were shook up. You know, it's a really scary thing about demons because they really exist. I think one of the reasons why the movie Jaws is, is such uh, had, uh, scary was because there are great white sharks that do eat people. And therefore, things that are real have, a, have an impact. Demons are real. And so anything that would talk about demons has an impact upon people because in their heart of hearts they know that they're dealing with the living God and they're dealing with creatures that the Bible says do exist. These spiritual evil beings really do exist. I personally haven't encountered it. I don't ever particularly desire to encounter uh, people filled with demons. But I've had a few occasions to talk with people who have had their encounters with them. I've had a couple occasions to have a great sense of evil that probably is a sense of demonic presence. Joe Morecraft talks about he never witnessed any uh, demonic possessions, but he said he toured once a, a mental ward in a hospital, and he says it was he had the greatest sense of evil he's ever had in his life, touring a mental ward. Because we do know you understand something about uh, demon possession, it makes people mad. It, uh, a lot of people have distorted physiques because of, of um, uh, demon possession. There's a lot of uh, health issues that are related, not all of them, but they are. I remember uh, when we were in Atlanta, um, one of the people that were going at Chalcedon, he was an uh, oral surgeon. We had he and his family over for dinner, and he was talking about, he was from Miami. He said, I remember the dinner table, I don't know how we got off on it. He says, I've witnessed demon possession. I came in this thing, and, uh, I came into uh, some patients in a ward, and then another voice came out. He says, I have personally witnessed demon possession. When I was doing my work, uh, preparing some books, and studying about Whitfield and the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesleys, I read the accounts of the Wesleys in their preaching ministry of people that were demonic-possessed. Uh, John and Charles were invited over to a woman, and you can read the account of the Wesleys dealing with a demonic-possessed woman, and they cast the demon out her after a while. <clears throat> My point is this. Demon possession is real. It still is real. Jesus must encounter this demon-filled uh, people because he is the Messiah. It's no coincidence that he goes across the sea to that particular area. Jesus knew fair, uh, full well what was going to happen, and that's why he went. We're told that Jesus, after his baptism, what are we told? That he immediately was sent out by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, because Jesus, as the Messiah, must accomplish victory where the first Adam failed. The second Adam must prevail. Jesus prevailed against Satan in the temptation, whereas the first Adam failed. Jesus will cross the Sea of Galilee to encounter these demonically filled men in order to demonstrate that demons are subject to the Son of God, the Son of Man. 
We see that from the dawn of man's existence, in the Garden of Eden, we are told that there was set in motion a conflict throughout history between the seed of the woman, being the Messiah and the church, and the seed of the serpent, being the devil, his demonic realm, and all the reprobate of mankind. There in Genesis 3, we see the stage of why there's all this conflict in humanity, and it will go on, but Jesus, since his appearance, has been methodically destroying the work of the devil. As the Messiah, he must demonstrate that he is the Lord God, and that he is Lord over Satan. Contrary to what you may see or what you read in these crazy books, Satan is not a rival force to God. Zoroastrianism, that religion of the Middle East, has this idea that there's this eternal struggle going on between good and evil. There's no eternal struggle going on between good and evil as if the outcome is unknown. Yes, there's a struggle, as I just alluded to, but the, the victory is secure. Jesus was and will be victorious over the realm of Satan. Now we have a good idea where this event took place. It was about six miles from the Sea of Galilee, uh, some say diagonally across from Capernaum, at a hill descending sharply to the edge of the sea where there are many cave dwellers uh, and or caves where, that are, whereby they are suitable for tombs. These demoniacs that encountered Jesus lived in these caves, in these tombs. I can assure you this, if I ever had the opportunity to visit the area, I don't think I'm ever going to tell the tour guide, please take me to the gatherings to those caves where the demons were. I don't think I want to ask them to do that. We are told from other accounts that immediately getting out of the boat, these demon men, by the time the boat arrived at shore, the demons, these demon-filled men, had met Jesus. The minute he steps out of the boat, it says these demon men were there. Now Mark's account in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, says that the demon-filled men saw Jesus from a distance and came running because, according to Luke's account, Jesus had already begun to command the demons to come out. And he hadn't even arrived at shore yet. So get this, Jesus knows full well what's going on. These men filled with these demons, they know from a distance, they are encountering no ordinary man, they're encountering the Son of God. And they come rushing down this steep cliff to meet Jesus, the Son of God. Now, this too must have been a sight to behold. We are told that this man, uh, <clears throat> at least from Mark's account and Luke's account, they emphasize one man. It says that they were day and night crying out from the cliffs, and they were gnashing themselves uh, constantly. Luke 8 says that the men had not put clothes on for some time. Mark's account states that the townspeople 
had tried to bind these men. Now, just imagine living in this nearby town. Where during the day and night, how would you like to be living in a town, you hear this screaming up on the cliffs. And it says they sent people to bind these men, but they weren't able to do it. It says they had often tried to bind them. This is Mark's and Luke's account. It says they had often tried to bind them with shackles and chains. And what was the effect? They broke the chains. You can read about accounts. Uh, those that I have talked with and others say uh, those who are filled with demons have superhuman strength. Because it is superhuman in the sense that they're not ordinary. It's the demons giving them this great power. No chain could, could hold these demon men, filled men. Luke's version in Luke 8 verse 29 says that this man was in chains and shackles. And he was kept under guard. Now, how would you like to be the guys guarding these people? They were, they'd send up men to guard them, and but when the demons would come upon them, they couldn't control them. They would break the chains. And <laughs> the no telling it does, guys, imagine guarding these, these demon-possessed men and fleeing for your life out of the tombs. <clears throat> Mark's version says that no one, no one was strong enough to subdue them. That's no surprise. If you could break chains, you're going to subdue someone who can break a chain? Keep in mind that Mark says how often they were bound to no avail. That means this naked guy would get loose and there were multiple attempts only to see him break the chains again. When the demons would leave, they'd chain them up, but they would break the chains. The man, when seized by the demons, would gash himself with stones, we are told. Now, this is not unusual, because one of the names of Satan in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, the name is Apollyon, meaning destroyer. Satan is a destroyer. That's what he is by his nature. He came to destroy his only aim is to destroy. He is diabolically evil. Satan uses people and then will dispense with them like garbage. I told you about this. Before Marilyn Monroe, there was Jane Mansfield, who I told you joined Anton LaVey's Church of Satan in San Francisco. And in a ritual, sold herself to the devil in this ritual. Only two years later to be driving in Texas when her convertible drives under a semi and the windshield severs her head. When I was in seminary, I, I went to seminary with a guy by the name of Al Bennett. Al Bennett <coughs> told me that when he was in college, he was involved in the dark arts. He said, I was a, um, a male witch. He said, John, I could do things to people. The Lord would save Al Bennett, and he will go, and he will pastor the church after a friend of ours, Ken Gentry, pastored at Midway Presbyterian Church in Johnson City. Al Bennett will be the next pastor after Ken Gentry. We'll invite one of our professors, Morton Smith, who taught systematic theology, to come give a Bible conference. 
And one I know Morton Smith was talking with Al Ben in his office and they were talking about things and Al says, Yeah, the previous week had a woman come to my office. I knew some things were wrong with her. And I just immediately knew there was something really wrong with her. He says, I knew it was demon possession. I command he says, What what did you do? He says, Well, I commanded he, uh, he says the woman began to speak in a male voice and the demon said to Al, What are you going to do about it? And Al said, personally, I'm not going to do anything. But in the name of Jesus, you will come out. It says that woman just fell over the floor in the church office and then came to and was fine. Morton Smith says, good for you. (laughs) We didn't go to seminary thinking there were going to be these encounters with the demonic realm. Here was a former student of Smith. And this... I think the Lord gave Al Bennett these opportunities because he was involved in the dark arts himself. And the Lord, when the Lord saved him, he would have these encounters. But these encounters would be dispelling the demonic realm. And so we see in this, <coughs> in this sense, the, this man, these demon men, uh, possessed men who lived in these cave tombs. If you're one of these guards and when the demon seized him and he broke loose, nothing you could do about it. Now, if you think going to a haunted house for the night would be something, imagine the constant screaming at night that could be heard from the townspeople. Matthew's account says nobody would ever venture by there. I wouldn't be by there either. Far worse than living in Transylvania because this is real here. These are men possessed by the devil. Can you imagine living in that town and have a town meeting? Now remember they had guards. Can you imagine uh, the next town meeting? Uh, they say, all right, it's time to draw straws and to see who's going to be the guy does it. Can you imagine some guy named Mose? Mose gets the short straw. And, okay, Mosey, it's your turn to go guard the cliffs and the tombs and the demon-possessed men. And, of course, Rabbi Bernstein says to him, Roshan Gami, translated, good luck, pal. <laughs> have to go guard the guys that break loose? This is what was going on every day. The scripture says. So our text says, when these demoniacs came rushing down that that cliff and they meet Jesus, it says when he when he gets there, they say to him, What do we have to do with you, son of the most high God? The demons understood immediately who they were dealing with. They understood it from a distance. This is why I think there is a sense in which, uh, as Pastor Moorcraft has said, I've experienced what I believe, uh, areas where you have this sense of evil. And the reason you have this sense of evil is because the Christian has the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God meets up with the spirits of darkness, you sort of know it. You sort of know it. These demons immediately knew. He was in that boat. Jesus 
knew who was coming down that hill to meet him. And he was already commanding the demons to come out. You see, the devil, when these demons said to, to Jesus, he says, Son of God, what do we have to do with you, Son of the Most High God? The demons understand the truth. Now, the truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. And just like James says, in James chapter 2, it says the demons understand that God is one, and they shudder. Then these spiritual beings have encountered the Son of God, and they immediately understand what's going on. Mere believing in God doesn't make one a Christian, but demons, they believe in God. But their believing in God is only a comprehension of who God is, not in a saving sense. And you find these stupid and you, these foolish atheists who will tell you that there's no such thing as God. But you know what? The demons know. The demons know there's God. The demons know about Jesus. And they understand who he is. The demonic realm has no desire to serve Jesus. It has no capacity to receive any benefit from Jesus. But they do fear the power and the wrath of God. And that's what comes out in this incident. This tells us that Satan and the demons, they, they say, these demons say to Jesus in their text, Look at verse 29 of Matthew uh, 8. It says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Even the demons, I don't know how they know this, but they know their eventual fate. They know they're doomed. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Is that why you've come? That's why they came rushing down the hill. Because they, they heard Jesus commanding the demons to leave them. And they want to know, has that time arrived? Well, we see here, this tells us that Satan and the demons, they know their eventual fate. The demons are terrified of that terrible day. Uh, and remember, Jesus says in Matthew 25:41, he says, The lake of fire has been prepared for who? The devil. And his angels. You know, the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, and it's grievous that there are going to be human souls and bodies cast into that lake of fire. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But there will be others who don't believe in Jesus that will be there with them on that final day of judgment. Turn with me to Jude chapter 6. It says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now what the text tells us, that they are already bound, awaiting judgment of the great day. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And we learn something quite interesting here. It says that Satan and his demonic realm have already been bound. They are chained in darkness awaiting their judgment. 
Now, looking at all the biblical data here, what we learn is this. Satan is said to be bound. The demonic realm is said to be bound. If they are bound, how is it that they're inhabiting people? Does that sound like they're being bound? Well, we've got to understand that being bound doesn't mean a cessation of activity. It simply means a restriction of activity. It means that they're, uh, they are restricted to carry out uh, their normal practice that, that could have been, and they are being bound means they are under the authority of another, namely the authority of Jesus. So I think the best answer to this about Second Peter 2 and Jude 6 is this, is that judgment has already been experienced by these demons in some sense by referring to the fact that they are kept in chains, they are bound awaiting the final day of judgment, which is when what they have feared the most, which they thought was already happening. It is no different than referring to a prisoner, for example, on death row, chained, as it were, awaiting the day of his execution. The demonic realm is chained. They've been, um, their influence has been vastly restricted. We get to Matthew 12, we're going to see the whole ministry of Jesus was that he will plunder Satan's house. Uh, when the, when the, we're going to see when we get to Matthew 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples, they will be subject to Jesus' name, and they must come out. And that's when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The whole purpose of the Messianic ministry is to show Jesus' utter superiority over the forces of darkness. But we're going to see that this great, day, this great judgment, uh, as Jude 6 means that it doesn't mean that they don't have any activity at all. It just means that they have been bound over and they will be restricted. I learned this important truth. When the Bible says someone is bound, it doesn't mean, as I've said, a complete cessation of activity. It just simply means that they are under the authority of another to do as the other, other says. For example... Turn with me to Luke 13. And look at verses 11 and through 13. And behold, there was a woman who had for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she... Immediately she was made erect, and again, and began glorifying God. And then verse 16 it says, And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan had bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Talking about this woman who uh, Jesus, when he laid hands on her, says that, she had been uh, bent over double, could not straighten up at all. I remember years ago, this might have been in the early 90s, uh, one of the men missionaries in South Africa that Joe Moorcraft got to know uh, was involved in this ministry at this radio station. And they would have people, and they would preach the gospel, and have all these people come 
And uh, I remember hearing the guy preach to us. He said he witnessed the demon possession being uh, its impact. And when these people were delivered from the... Uh, from the demon possession, all these people that came walking, they were distorted. All of a sudden, they were instantly not distorted. Falling along exactly what the scripture says. And it says uh, the witch doctors were not very happy with the missionary, of course, because a lot of this came because of the witch doctors' influence in the tribe. And yet the gospel was prevailing in such magnitude that these people were getting saved by the gospel and being delivered from all these demons. By the way... We're told in Revelation 20, verse 2, we're told that an angel of God is seen. That angel of God happens to be Jesus in Revelation 20. He's said to be seen coming with a great chain and a key to the abyss to bound Satan for a thousand years. And we know from our exegesis of that whole passage, we won't get into all of that, that we are presently in the millennium. We have been in the millennium since the days of Jesus and the apostles. And which corresponds well with what is said. As Jude says, as 2 Peter 2 says, that the demonic realm has been bound in chains, as it were, spiritual chains, until the great day whereby they will then when they will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, I understand that these bound and chains simply means in various places that they are under the authority of others. Doesn't mean their activity is completely null and void. It just means they can only do what God permits them to do. Satan and all of his vile, wicked hosts are no match to Jesus. They are no match to any Christian, genuine Christian. You know the episode there in Acts 19 when Paul was casting out demons there, and then it says the seven sons of Sceva, these Jewish men who were not believers, now that's the key, who are not believers, they see Paul casting out demons, so they decide they're going to cast out demons. And so when they tried, it did not have the same success because the demons say, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? And then it says they just lit into them, tore, I mean, whooped up on them. These men had to flee naked. They were all beaten up. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a super spiritual. The point was... These unbelievers were trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the fact that there was no success is because they don't have the Spirit of God. They, try, they thought this was a magic act. Well, they found out otherwise, didn't they? We do not have to fear the demonic realm because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, one thing that Mark tells us about these demon-possessed men is that they came out of the, to- the tombs, came down that hill, and they arrived at the shore exactly when Jesus uh, was there. After all, Jesus is God. He has quieted the storm, has he not? And he's healed all these diseases, has he not? And he will exercise his authority over these demon-possessed uh, men. You see... 
the demonic realm must obey Jesus. They must obey Him. He is the Lord. That's why they must obey Him. He is God. And it's interesting when Jesus says to the demons, What is your name? What is your name? And they said, Our name is Legion. For we are many. Now, you know what a Roman legion consists of? About 6,000 soldiers. Now, that doesn't mean that there were 6,000, but there could have been. It says, we are legion, for we are many. How do so many diabolical beings inhabit one person? I don't have the slightest idea. It's terrifying to think about it, but it's true. It happens. I'll never forget. Like I said, I've never had the encounter myself, but when I was in... Uh, Westminster Presbytery, the PCA. We had a guy who was a pastor in Bristol, Tennessee. He had just come up there. He had ministered in Atlanta, Georgia. We were sitting at dinner at, at Presbytery one time, and he said, Yeah, preaching on the streets of Atlanta was something else because I had this guy following me around giving me in trouble. And he says he would be, he would just kind of be in the back of the crowd, just, just, murmuring and all this he says the veins would stick out of his neck and on the side of his head like I'd never seen before he said I came up and says who are you and a voice spoke says I'm such and such and I've been around for 6,000 years okay this legion this uh, multitude of demons they have to obey Jesus they must obey Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Master. Now, notice in the Scriptures, Satan always has to have permission from a sovereign God to do anything. There are no rival force to have. They don't have an ability on their own as such. They have to ask God for permission. Remember the story of Job? Job was a righteous man. Satan wanted to get at him. He says, the reason Job trusts you, you put a hedge around him, God. Of course he would trust you. Take away the hedge and he'll curse you, God. And so it was God who had to grant permission to Satan to get at Job. Remember uh, Peter, when Peter was making his bold claims, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me. And he says, Peter... Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Now, it wasn't that he could sift him on his own. He demanded of God, just give me permission to sift him. And God gave him permission to sift Peter like wheat. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. In Mark 5.13, which is our... uh, the other version of this text, we see that Jesus gave the, uh, the, the legion says, now, all right, if we leave, at least send us to this, this uh, herd of swine. If we're going to have to go, just send us to this herd of swine, which we're told was about 2,000 of these pigs. And that's when we're reading the text. Jesus says, then be gone. And when he said, be gone, they had to leave. And it says, all of these demons that had been in this man filled all these 2,000 pigs. And these pigs went running off that cliff into the Sea of Galilee and perished. 
Now, <clears throat> we're told in Mark's account that there were herdsmen by, and they saw the whole thing happen from start to finish. <laughs> and as, can you imagine as they were watching uh, these swine, they, they saw these naked demon-possessed men coming out of the caves, screaming and running towards the boat. Maybe the herdsmen kind of been thinking, you know, they have no idea what they're going to count. This ought to be good, what's going to happen here, because they have no idea what these people were. Now, imagine being one of the disciples in the boat. It was bad enough to be on the Sea of Galilee and about to perish. Bible says it was probably near dusk when they arrived at the cliffs. Imagine having survived this great storm only to be met at the shore of these guys come running down the cliff. I says, what is going on? It's not my idea of welcome wagon. Just imagine these disciples, what they must have been thinking. But the minute they encounter Jesus, they talk to Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're going to send us out, send us to be swine, if we got to go. Now, I told you before, when the townspeople came and found out what happened, now the herdsmen tell them, you just lost 2,000 of your pigs, and they were upset. They come, and they find this man, according to the text, Mark's account, Mark says they found this man, I think it's interesting, fully clothed and in his right mind. Fully clothed and in his right mind. Now, I'll tell you something about, well, I'll never forget seeing this National Geographic special about the Kayapoyo Indians of the Amazon Basin. You ever seen the Indians that put a disc in their lip like this? So that their lip sticks out like this? That's the Kayapoyo Indians. And they did a special, and it... They, they made it. They didn't make it already. They just showed them swinging on these things. It says, the Kyle Indians are a pristine tribe. It shows them swing, happy and swing, you know, swinging on the vines into the rivers, you know, stark naked. And uh, it says, however, here's what National Geographic said, however, the Kyle Indians have been threatened by the Christian missionaries. And you know what? Because the Christian missionaries have come, have brought the gospel, and these Indians, that are some of them are converted, they're putting clothes back on. But National Geographic says they have been corrupted by the Christian missionary. Satan, it just goes to show, Satan is diabolical. All these cultures that are like this... Uh, like these Indians, and they're just one of many tribes that you'll see out there. They're under the influence of the local witch doctor who has that influence over them, and it's satanic. When I was on board Wise County Christian School years ago up in Coburn, they had this missionary come from South America. They were telling stories. He said, uh, there was a tribe that got Christianized, but for whatever reason, the missionaries left, and, and years had gone by. So when the missionaries came back, uh, <clears throat> he says, 
the witch doctor was out on a pond causing an iron uh, hammer to, uh, to float on the water. So the missionary and two other people were with him, he was kind of distraught. The witch doctor immediately knew something was present, even before they got there, much like the demon-possessed men knew that Jesus was on the boat. Because when the men hadn't even got to the tribe, the, the witch doctor turned to the missionaries and said, I bet your God can't do this. One missionary was just struck, was, was so struck, he, he was, couldn't say anything, but the other one says, in the name of Jesus, your axe handles will never float again. And the thing sunk. Now, <clears throat> you see more of these encounters. I hope you don't have those encounters in Colombia. <laughs> but when you go to these, these encounters, or wherever there is the darkness where the gospel has not permeated. Brethren, expect to see it more in America as we begin to sink further into the pit of destruction. The further we distance ourselves from the law of God, don't be surprised to see more demonic activity in America. But the thing about it is, you don't have to be afraid because greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. The demons have to be subject to the name of Jesus. And yet, Christian, you've got Jesus on your side. I don't care how many demons there are. In the name of Jesus, they have to depart. And they will. You know, in this situation, when these townspeople heard the fact that they lost 2,000 of their swine, you know what's sad is... What did they value more? What did they ask Jesus to do? Get out of town. We don't want you here anymore. What did Jesus do? He had just delivered this, these men from their de the demon possession. Now, what did they care more about? The fact that this guy was, these men were delivered from these demons? Or the fact they had lost their monetary wealth? They were more concerned about the monetary wealth. We're told in our text, that, <clears throat> at least uh, Mark's text, that the man who was delivered from the demons wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus says, you don't need to go. And it says the man would go to his own town. Look at Mark, look at Mark 5.20 and you'll see what is said there. Mark 5.20. It says, and we, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Guess what? The man that had been filled with a legion of demons became a missionary to Decapolis, proclaiming the wonderful things Jesus had done on his behalf. But for the town people, get out of town, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. You just ruined 2,000 of our pigs. You see, the thing about it is, you're going to either love Jesus or you're going to hate Him. You're either going to serve Him or you're not going to serve Him. It's going to be one or the other. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to set forth a demarcation between the light and the darkness. Following me or you're not going to follow me. I'm the Messiah. Do you believe I'm the Messiah? Then you will be delivered from your sins.
Not just from demons, but from your sins. You know, it's hallelujah that we, we serve a God and we have a Savior who has saved us to the uttermost. He is the Lord of glory. He is not only the Lord God who can silence the great storms, He can heal the people. He can cast out demons out of people because He is the Lord of glory. Let's